welcome to another awesome edition. See, I know another word other than fantastic. An awesome edition of the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Uh, I am your co-host, Dominic Vogel. Joining me, as always, is the glowingly awesome Mr. Christian Redshaw. Christian, how are you doing today? Well, thanks to you, Dominic. I feel awesome, but make sure you don't overuse that word either. <laughs> I have a problem with a lot of words. <laughs> That's all good. Enough about, enough about my limited vocabulary. Who is our guest today? Well, today we have Andrew Wirtkin. He is the Chief Strategy Officer of Blue Cat. And as I understand it, he's a powerhouse when it comes to technology and when it comes to business and when it comes to cybersecurity. So can't wait to have a chat with him. Yeah, I think this will be a really, really loaded conversation. Andrew seems to be a very, very smart guy. I actually never had the chance to chat with him either. So this will be the first time both of us are, are speaking with him. So I'm sure some uh, uh, interesting threads will be uh, uh, following here. So we will take a momentary pause. We'll bring Andrew on and then uh, we'll start off with that awesome conversation. See, so yeah, here I am using my limited vocabulary again. Stay tuned, folks. Let's do it. Andrew Workin, welcome to Cybersecurity Matters. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's really great to have you and can't wait to get into some nuts and bolts of cybersecurity and technology. But I just wanted to ask you quickly, how did you get involved in cybersecurity in the first place? Like what, what was your career path to get here? It's a strange career path that started with the PhD program in neuroscience in 1991. But, uh, but it, it's really, I, I've been at Blue Cat now for seven years, and uh, Blue Cat's been a vendor of, of DNS and DNS for large enterprises for quite some time. And the, the clear relationship between what we do and cybersecurity strategies was, um, was something that we, we jumped right in on. Before then, in, in most of the work I was doing, it was more around data security than network security. So this was more of a transition to data, to, sorry, to network security. Awesome. You know, our, our um, audience here is going to be business leaders, uh, mostly non-technical people. So we really want to, um, you know, break it down in the most simple terms uh, for them and, uh, you know, give them, get, make it as practical, as pragmatic as possible. Um, so when you're looking at, you know, a smaller, medium-sized organization approaching cybersecurity, what should they know first of all to to take the subject seriously? What is the what is the threat out there? What's the danger? There's obviously uh, just if, if anything an accelerating number of threats out there, and and those threats hit companies of all sizes, and smaller companies that might not think that they are going to be the target might not understand where they are. For instance, in the supply chain, who are their customers? You know, why would somebody? You know, they might be a step along the way. Um, and so there's there's um, a uh, at the very least a strategy and understanding and understanding of risks that every company should go through to figure out you know what are their risks and and are they mitigating them and and you know which ones are practical to mitigate and which ones they might you know not be able to mitigate and how should they mitigate them and and so I think any company that's connected you know which is you know whatever well over ninety nine percent of the companies right now. Um, should should be fairly aware that um, that something will happen, or in many cases something has happened and they're just not aware of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Andrew, I'm wondering, you know, when we talk about uh, maybe just uh, extending um, Christian's uh, question and, and thought there, when we when we look at 
um, sort of enterprise, and then we look at small and mid-sized organizations. I mean, many enterprise organizations have had the lack of better term, I guess, the, the gift of having to focus on cybercrime over the and cybersecurity over the past 20 plus years, especially those in regulated industries. We know we're still very early days in terms of smaller organizations taking a pro a more proactive approach in terms of investing in cybersecurity. Um, how, how do we draw that that line in terms of this not just being seen as uh, an insurance, but rather something that they need to invest in if they want their company to survive and thrive into the future? Because uh, you know when we talk about myths or misperceptions, you know, some common myths amongst uh, smaller organizations is oh, cybersecurity, that's for the IT team or the IT service provider, or you have right. cyber insurance, or we're a small target. How do we get past that mindset? No, I, I think it's. I think it comes down to, um, you know, trying to understand the risk to your business, much, much like you would with, with, other, with other sorts of catastrophes that could occur. And, and, you know, which ones, again, do you need to mitigate? And I think any sort of risk framework around cybersecurity can really help plumb out what the business ramifications can be, and yes, we might have we might have insurance, um, but but there's going to be damage to our company that won't be sustainable if this occurs. So therefore, how are we going to mitigate this risk? And I think it I think it comes down to putting it into those business terms. And and there are uh, risk methodologies that can be used to to help guide that conversation. So it's not just a you know vendor trying to sell you something. Here are your risks. Rather, it's a you know what what are our business risks, and and a company might decide that that you know given what those risks are and given the level of investment that might be necessary, they're they're going to take they're going to be well aware of of what they're covering and what they're not covering. the The scary part is if you if you don't understand you know you you, you haven't contemplated um, what the business ramifications could be. Absolutely, no, and, and appreciate you sharing that. You know and. When we're talking about um, about sort of the, the data, data security as well, when you talk to the average small business, um, many of them don't know even where their most important data is, let alone what right. their most important data is. Um, and when we see something like ransomware as an example, just running a mock in, in in the SMB community right now, um, do you do you feel that organizations don't have, uh, or especially small organizations, is there a disconnect in terms of how long they think that they can, lack of a better term, live without their data? Um, because when we talk to small organizations, we say, well, if your organization get hit, gets hit by ransomware and it's down for three days, can you know, is that a breaking point? Five days, six days, right. and you're often met with sh shrugging shoulders. <laughs> right. Um, how important is it, is or is it for organizations to? Um, again, even in the face of something like ransomware, to, to take that threat seriously. No, I, I think you nailed it on the head. I mean, it, it's, and that's what I mean by sort of understanding uh, business risks. Can we live without our data for three or four days? Can we live it at, without it forever? You know, if we if we can't recover from uh, a ransomware, and, and then what? In some cases, simple strategies can we take to ensure that doesn't happen to us? You know. Um, and uh, and yeah, you're right. A lot of small organizations might not necessarily know where that data is, if it's being protected, um, how it's being protected, what those strategies are. But um, you know, again, I, th I think there's there's appropriate mechanisms to walk through that, to do that audit, that don't necessarily commit to a lot of spend initially. And uh, you know, spend first strategies where okay, we don't have ransomware, we need some ransomware. Let's buy that. I saw a sign in the airport or 
you know, um, whatever. Um, those those strategies are, you know, if you haven't done the hard work, and, and yeah, it's, it's going to be some work to sort of understand what your real risks are and what you need to mitigate, then you might just be, you know, it's a false security blanket. Okay, we bought this one thing. Um, but we still don't know where our data is, and we still don't know what would happen if we were without it. We're just hoping this one thing we bought is going to prevent ransomware. And, and you know, the reality is that um, that uh, you know, obviously, the sophistication of those that are trying to cause you harm is you know outpaces, um, uh, and, and you see it even you know with this latest um, you know sunburst um, you, you know uh, attack. Um, these are very sophisticated organizations. They're not SMBs, you know, that have real cyber strategies. So, so, you know, you're, you're, you have to do that, that business work and then, and then figure out what you can live with and what, what you can mitigate in some other way. And, and, and maybe, yeah, and to, and I appreciate that, that insight, Andrews, and, and if we shift back to, you know, to, to Blue Cat and you, you mentioned about DNS, I'm, I'm wondering if you can help our, our, our listeners and viewers better understand what DNS is, why it's important, and why it's important to have it secured. Sure. Now, the simplest analogy for for DNS, which is is can be offensive to you know DNS practitioners because it's way more than this, is it's sort of like the phone book for the internet. So you know, there's there's no real place called Google.com. There are network addresses where Google services live. And to find those network addresses, we look up a name, and that name has a network address behind it, and DNS manages that. And it's this huge distributed system that has held up mightily through the growth of the internet over many, many years, um, where companies can have some level of trust between each other, so and, and can find each other. Um, and uh, and so without DNS, th- there, it's it's difficult to connect to anything. Um, and, and, and almost everything you do leverages DNS. And so if you are trying to connect to a website, for instance, then there will be lookups in DNS. And uh, those will be behind the scenes. The user isn't doing them specifically, um, but they're being generated from your device based on your web browser or your application or whatever the case. Almost all network traffic is preceded by some DNS lookup. And so if, if those DNS lookups are going to sites that, in the simplest use case, are known to be bad, you know, badguy.com or, or, or that exist on threat intelligence out there, then you can block them. And it's one of the most efficient ways to deal from a control standpoint. If you know something's bad, there's this tiny little, you know, 80-byte query, and, and it's blocked, as opposed to um, trying to shuttle that, you know, website through your proxies or other security apparatus and blocking it there. It's a simple, rapid way to go block something if we know it's bad already. So it, it becomes um, uh, you know, a, a lightweight capability to stop connectivity to things that are bad. There's way more there though. I mean, one is just from a visibility standpoint, um, who's gone where? We now know something's bad. What I'd like to know is, did anything in my network ever try to go there before? Well. If you have a history of this DNS data, if, you, if you're logging, um, if you have a solution that can that 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 aggregates all this data, well, now you can go ask those questions. You know, we know this is bad now. Has anybody ever, you know, over the last month before this was known to be bad, gone to these indicators? And uh, and you see that with 
for instance, this sunburst that came out, they were able to um, reverse engineer some of these complicated queries coming from sunburst, these DNS traffic coming from sunburst um, that was embedding information in the query. Uh, so, so DNS can be used um, just, it, it, it's used with things like malware or ransomware the same way it's used with a real application. The ransomware isn't going to hard code some network address to go connect to. Most likely it's going to use DNS because it's really easy to block a bad network address. If they use DNS in the middle, then they can keep moving the back end. You know, where is this thing going to be? It gives them some level of, um, of uh, scalability and resilience to, to simple ways to block things. So, um, so it, it's, a, it's an important part right there. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the other things are you can actually communicate, like have a message over DNS. So, so you know, it, we're sending a what's called a DNS query. What is the network address of Google.com? But you can send anything in that query and you can get any response. It doesn't have to be an IP address. So it becomes a viable mechanism to have, for instance, a command and control conversation or exfiltrate data because a lot of companies don't look at DNS at all. So if I'm not even looking at this data, then I might have the best, you know, web filter, web proxy in the world. And this communication is going completely around it with, with DNS. And so, um, so there, there's lots of viable ways to, um, uh, to utilize DNS as a threat vector beyond it just being, um, you know, if I know it's bad, I, I can block it. Um, so it's essential. Every company uses it. You, you can't communicate with other devices without it. Uh, SMBs might not have their own DNS. They might be using their ISP's DNS. You know, there's, there's whether or not they own the infrastructure or not might be different at a smaller company, but, uh, but many SMBs do. They'll use their, you know, Active Directory server or something like that. DNS will be there. Are, uh, this is really insightful, Andrew. So, are, are, uh, are we seeing an increase in, in the number of attacks that are leveraging DNS, like uh, from a percentage point of view? Like over the maybe the past year, has the percentage of attacks leveraging DNS or exploiting DNS has that gone up? The percentage of attacks that utilize DNS as a normal mechanism of communicating to the internet because they're exfiltrating data. I don't know, I think Cisco's got some stat, it's up there of like 94%, and it will continue to be up there because DNS is part of how things communicate with the internet. Bad stuff, ransomware is communicating the back end, and therefore DNS is there. The percentage of attacks that utilize DNS as a mechanism to have a conversation with the back end, you know, like one of these more advanced use cases I'm talking about, um, yeah, there, there's, been, there's been an increase. I don't have any percentages. And, and it's either been an increase in its use or, you know, more sophisticated um, threat hunters and others in the security community finding more and more evidence of how it's being used out there. But, you know, it, it's you look at the threat indicators or, or when when um, when these malwares are reverse engineered and, and the entire communication flow is out there, you see the DNS queries. They're just there. And um, uh, or, or like advanced you know, you, you register a domain name. I own WordKin.com, for instance. Um, you can register as many domains as you want. There's two or 300,000 newly observed domains that show up on the internet on a daily basis. And so you also see this like, you know, um, what are called uh, domain generation algorithms. So you'll see a device all of a sudden starting to speak to all of these really bizarre domain names that might not even exist on the internet. Um, 
that sort of DGA, it's, it's called, has been around for quite some time, and, and you see some very advanced use cases of it recently because if if I can keep generating stuff and the malware has some way to predict what I'm going to generate, I think there was one that actually used like Twitter trending topics of the day. you know. And so the malware would look up Twitter to see what was trending and create domains based on the trending word and some sort of salt, like some sort of date stamp or something that was unique. And therefore, that was being registered on the back end so that this thing could communicate and the malware can configure out on a day what domains it might need to look up and it would just look those up. And and, um, uh, and and these techniques are essential to avoid being detected, you know. So so yes, there's a lot of usage of DNS because you know as as security vendors get more sophisticated in trying to detect this stuff, like we we're saying before, um, those engineering, you know, any of these, um, uh, you know, um, malware or whatever. Are, are, are driving that same level of sophistication. They know how people are looking. Raising up to uh, a more strategic business discussion right. here. Um, business strategy depends on having no issues, right? And I'm thinking specifically when it comes to technology and, and cybersecurity, you being in the unique position of having worn and wear a business hat and having been uh, you know, in technology, IT, and in cybersecurity, how, from the perspective of the business, can you uh, collaborate better with IT and with cybersecurity? Is there, is there right. a, an approach that you can recommend? Yeah, it's a really good question because uh, forever and a day, these were separate functions. You know, uh, in a larger organization, um, I don't know, you know, IT's responsibility was moving network packets from point A to point B and, and the security team was there trying to stop them, right? And and uh, and you know you looked at things like worker productivity and, and what our business strategy is, and these were obstacles to get around. IT is too restrictive, so I'm going to go push stuff onto the cloud. Security is too restrictive, so I'm going to go do this stuff myself and not even let them know I'm doing it. And businesses where this is working well, um, these aren't unique organizations within the company that don't collaborate anymore. And, and I don't care if it's an SMB or a larger business. Every company out there is starting to transform into a, a technology company as part of you know digital transformation and everything else. And, and and so if we're building new services for our customers, if we're utilizing new SaaS, if we're doing whatever the case, you, you can't have the security team review the requirements after the fact or you know do just a simple like um, I don't know a, a security scan of software like they need to be part of you need to be aligned with the business the security and technology teams for sure need to be aligned with themselves but they need to be aligned with the business you you know it used to be you're not allowed to put new stuff on the network that's not an approved device now you've got stores and retail organizations putting sensors on the network measuring people coming in and out of the door you know the security and IT teams can't say no you're not allowed to do that so what is going to be your strategy to protect that? Ah, okay, we're going to put those on. We're going to put them on these segmented networks. They're going to have no access to our corporate network. Like here are the things we're going to do to enable what the business needs because we understand the business is trying to drive more customer engagement in the store and therefore they need to measure this stuff. And it's, it's, I, it sounds, I think, obvious, but it's, it's really a big change in the way these organizations have worked historically because historically they've been um, seen as service organizations that need to do a better job of customer service 
as opposed to strategic organizations that are part and parcel with our business strategy. And, and that shift needs to happen. That That is uh, so eloquently put. And it seems like when security is an afterthought or bolted on, it puts uh, anyone that is charged with the task of uh, cybersecurity on their heels. And I think right. of the, op- the opposite side of that, which is security by design, whether that is from a strategic perspective and building a program or whether it's, you know, designing and building uh, software. Um, right. Let's let's end on that note. Can you tell us, uh, you know, the value of security by design and what what that looks like? You know, the best way to put it, I mean, it's it's you know, it's one of these things where like um, you can say security by design, quality by design, X by design, you're mortgaging if you don't do it by design, you know, your the likelihood that there will be an issue is high. And therefore you think you're going faster, but you're actually not. You're just pushing things that in, in the more you build, the harder it is to change. So, you know, consider these things from the beginning in a pragmatic risk focused way. Um, and, and, and that's critical. I mean, people can completely overwhelm you know, if you get to the point where you can't move without asking per, for permission, then then um, you're going to slow things down to the point where it it you know you can't get that momentum. Um, but but yeah, this this must be designed into the way you're doing things. And step one, going back to the beginning of the conversation, is okay. So great, you know, company's been around for 15 years. We've never thought this way. We don't know where our data is, and so it comes back down to also doing that that initial assessment. And that assessment from somebody, and I'm saying this from the perspective of a software vendor, do that assessment with somebody who's not in the business of then selling you a solution to that problem. Because um, you know you, you want an independent view and you want an independent view from experts who are going to help you best spend a dollar and best make a change as opposed to drive you to a specific solution that's going to solve for everything well christian i appreciate that this is why I mean, this is being a, just an um, amazing conversation you know, the, the, we're very grateful for you sharing this wisdom and i know that our our listeners and viewers uh, have learned a lot uh, listening to you over the over the past uh, 20 25 minutes or so so we're very grateful for your time thank you again for uh, joining us on the podcast today my pleasure i enjoyed it thank you so much andrew awesome Christian, that, that was a scintillating conversation. Uh, Andrew, the level of, um, I'd say, the depth and breadth that we covered with him was 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 quite impressive. Um, what were some of your key takeaways from that conversation? I feel like Andrew did such a great job, Dominic, of just going into normal business language. I, I know he has the capability of hanging with the most technical minds, uh, and he, he came up and indulged us on a, on a business and a strategic level, and I really appreciate that. What stood out to me was talking about how every business now is a technology company. Um, That was enlightening for me, uh, making that transition. And then also the idea of, you know, being proactive versus being reactive, security by design. Like the more you do without security in mind, the more it pushes that debt ahead and then you're going to have to do later. So it just puts an undue burden on your organization. 
Yeah, I, I absolutely, and I completely agree with you in, in terms of Andrew's uh, capability in, in skilled communication. You know, it's uh, very rare to be able to find a, a communicator who can uh, speak and hold his own or her own with a uh, technical crowd, but also with a non-technical crowd. So we, I really appreciate how Andrew uh, took the, the, the sort of the time to be able to break things down um, to, you know, well, lack of better terms, sort of a layperson uh, point of view, especially with something like like DNS, which is a, is a very technical or technically inclined. <laughs> <laughs> uh, area of, of expertise, but uh, we're very, very appreciative of Andrew and uh, in particular Blue Cat of allowing him to, to join us uh, today on, on the podcast. And uh, as always, I want to make sure that we extend a special thanks to our loyal listeners and viewers for taking time out of their busy schedules to join Christian and I uh, on the podcast. Uh, please be sure to check out previous episodes and uh, other episodes under the Conversations That Matter uh, banner. Uh, you can check that out on the Conversations That Matter YouTube page. Uh, if you feel so inclined to leave leave uh, feedback or ratings, please uh, uh, feel free to do so, good or bad. We always appreciate any type of feedback, uh, as well as on the, your, uh, any popular uh, podcasting platforms as well. But until next time, be well, be safe, be awesome, and we'll catch you next time on the Cybersecurity Matters Podcast. Mm-hmm.